Insert theme song here. We're the therapists pumping through your speakers, delivering just what you need. We're well-read and poised. We're the best boys. <laughs> Welcome to Warp to Remember. Who was that? What, what lyric was that? Because I know that song. Oh my god, it's Fall Out Boy. That's from yeah, Sophomore a- Slump or Comeback of the Year of course that by is. Fall Out Boy. I love me. I think I have such a good time with myself <laughs> saying dumb lyrics. <sighs> anyway, what do we do here, Zoe? I'm Rachel. Hey, I'm Zoe. <laughs> Welcome to Work to Remember. Uh, this podcast, we are former, not so former, emo kids who... It's a lifestyle. It's not a phase. <laughs> Mom. Um, we grew up with this music, and we are exploring all things Warp Tour, so the famous, world-famous traveling music show, um, looking back at all 25 years of it. We do history episodes where we look back at a specific year or years of the tour, see who was playing, what the stories were, what happened, looking back at that. But then, of course, most importantly, we look back at the music, um, talk about our favorite bands, go on some really fun tangents, look into the darker sides of the music, the lighter sides of the music, the middle in between, The religious undertones yeah, that are constantly apparently. present. I know, right? <laughs> Who knew? Um, for today's episode, we're going to do something really fun that we haven't done yet, and so this is going to be a, a cool episode. I hope that this is informative and you enjoy this episode tell us on our social medias we've got a lot of uh places where you can reach out to us we're on facebook instagram myspace at a warped remember and then we're on twitter at warped two number two remember correct because twitter are fashion (laughs) i'm pretty sure that's like the third time we've called them out on (laughs) there is a character limit for your username it makes me mad um so, yeah, definitely find us on our social medias, say hey, uh, and let us know what you think of this this week's episode, which we thought, so we've done a handful of episodes so far, and we kind of realized that we reference quite a few things that, um, especially genres of music that maybe people aren't as familiar with. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I think everybody can pretty much be like, that's rock and roll, or that's hip hop, or that's yeah. rap or something, but... Just, just when you start to pick apart at the seams of what rock and roll is and you get into then punk music and then you start to pick about hard punk and we get hardcore and pop There's punk. a lot of microcosms yeah. within it. So we wanted today to take some time to define what we consider to be these genres. Correct. Because that's the other big part of the, this music is that everyone has their own definitions and also puts bands in boxes that they consider to be the genre of the band. Yeah. Um, and, and the bands themselves. Exactly. Some bands themselves yeah. say, I'm not pop punk. Fuck you. Right. Exactly. You but then you're like, mm, you're like, mm, mm, kind of are. Um, <laughs> so we wanted to, especially since we're still a newish podcast, we wanted to take a, a little bit of time to give you guys kind of the idea of where we're coming from on these yeah. genres to maybe help you um, relate to maybe why we choose some of the songs that we do and why we yeah. talk about some of the things we do. Um, so we're gonna go through some of the punk subgenres today and uh, define those 
in our context for you, and then yeah. also probably talk about some music terms, some cultural terms that go along with these genres. This is by no means a deep dive on anything. We'll probably do more of this as we go. Yeah. Uh, but we wanted to give everybody some context. And this is not the be all end all definition. No, like God, Zoe no. said, like everyone has their own things but i think it's helpful for our podcast especially like zoe and i define things a certain way we have our own points of reference for stuff that other people might not understand in the same way so we want to go through it and it's going to be a fun episode i know it sounds like oh we're going through vocab list but we're gonna clip out some bands we're gonna have a good fucking good time talking about our sweet mems talking about what we think goes into it and you know Rachel's going to have some hot takes. Oh, Rachel's going to have some hot, hot takes. I'm going to have some boiling hot, 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 boiling hot, (laughs) hot heat takes. Hot, hot heat, which would be a pop punk band, I guess, but also like fun and alternative. I don't even know. Good question. I guess at this point. I couldn't name one song by them. Hot, hot heat. I just know vaguely that they exist. Da, 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 dee, 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 da, 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 back to the middle of nowhere. That's it. Middle of nowhere. That's, I, guess, I still like, don't know what it is, but that was so fun. I'll clip it out. Here we go. It. Here's some hot hot heat. Um, so we wanted to, so I thought we'd start with uh, punk. What even is punk? Rock. Yeah. And before we go down that rabbit hole too fast, like I said, none of this is a deep dive. But this is the Cliff's notes. This yeah. is like you're you have an SAT like tomorrow. Right. You didn't read the book. No. You're hitting some uh, Spark Notes forums. <laughs> you know, you feel very correct. Yeah, yeah, and you're having a good time. And then meanwhile, your friend is sitting next to you who said she was going to help you, but she's not going to help you. She's going to no. talk your fucking ear off about unrelated things. Yeah. Spoiler alert: she's mean. <laughs> exactly. And that's the vibe today. <laughs> So punk rock, or it's more form, like commonly known as just punk. Punk. Um, it's part of the rock and roll genre. It developed in the mid '70s in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Australia. So yeah. it's very much a Western genre of music originally. Um, it came out of kind of the garage rock uh, of the '60s. It's I think a big hallmark of punk is that it's very DIY. Yes. It is not super produced. It's rough and raw and usually pretty loud and in your face and aggressive. And there's the bands in general are being antagonized by something. Yeah. And they have to fight against it and they need you on their side to fight against whatever the thing is that they're mad about. And I think it marks a really important moment in music history where they're not concerned with sounding pleasant, Mm -hmm. which is a new thing. Yeah. Um, it's less about the musicality. It's less about the vocal ranges. And it's more about how loud and how hard you can shout for mm-hmm. and how hard you can slap your bass and <laughs> just like slam on the drums and be mad. Yeah. And I think it's characterized typically, not yes. always, but it's characterized typically by really short songs. It's a lot of like quick bursts of emotion and then you're yes. done. Yes. You know, like minute long to two minute long tracks yeah. of just like hitting it hard the whole time. Yeah. Constant. There's no real build because you just come in hot and you keep going. Those yes. are pretty traditional. Yes. Pop punk songs. Or I'm sorry, punk songs. And um, I think too, there's a whole movement within it where 
there's just like the purely noise driven ones like how mm-hmm. loud and distorted can you yes, sound the versus the little a little bit more polished i would argue like the sex pistols versus the ramones yes the sex pistols aren't concerned with sounding good they're no. concerned with how disgusting they can sound yep. whereas the ramones are a little cleaner they have very distinct very odd accents and and you know vocals yeah. But they are a little more understand, a little more understandable, and their lyrics are a little more straightforward. Their songs are a little cleaner. Yeah. They're still very much punk, and they're not. You can't easily identify what they're saying in a lot of their songs. Right. <laughs> but, you know, those those are like two of the like traditional classic yeah. sides of punk that I can think of off the top of my head. But it's, I mean, there's so many underground bands. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention there's some problematic history within punk skinhead yeah. movement within that. It's really fucked. There's a lot of gross. Um, Nazi stuff related to punk, but then there's also like um, the Dead Kennedys have the classic Die Nazi Scum, I believe is the song. I think so, yeah. It's a lot of big emotions and like big yeah. words and anarchy comes up a lot, but what does that really mean? Yeah. I would argue that the birthplace of it is the UK more so than anywhere yes. else. Sex Pistols. Especially. Yep. Um, a lot of regal imagery, a lot of presidential imagery, you know, Hello, the Dead Kennedys. Yeah. Uh, which is a very dark name, considering. If you really think about it, especially back in the day when it was in more recent, and that was, I do think there was like a shock value of punk. Yeah. Oh, we, totally. Like, because we came out of the Beatles and yeah. like rock and roll was like already kind of like, uh, but then like punk comes in and is like, uh, yeah. you ain't seen nothing yet. I would argue that rock and roll was like, rock and roll was sex driven. Yeah. Punk was like bodily fluid driven like it was like there was sex that was supposed to like shock and appall some people and then it was like no let's get grosser yeah it's not even about sex anymore it's about like shit and piss like that's what i would argue punk is at its core punk also is very like Taoist, and like if you start to try to like define punk you're not it's a it's a slippery slope for sure it's very like the first rule of fight club is don't fight talk about fight Mm -hmm. club anybody who really is punk is like they're just punk. They're just we're inherently so not punk because oh, we yeah. have this podcast and we're having this conversation. Yeah, yeah, no. I don't know if any like if anybody out there was like, yeah, they're really punk. I want to be like, first of all, thank you. But second of yeah. all, you're wrong. But yeah. I appreciate it. And then you get more, once you kind of evolve within the genre, you get more of the Iggy Pop, mm-hmm. nudity. Mm-hmm. I mean, even... Black Sabbath, I wouldn't consider Black Sabbath a punk band by any means, but they were very much into the, like, yeah. blood and guts. Kiss as well, blood and guts. Mm-hmm. Again, that, like, shock factor. That, yeah. Like, I think it, yeah. I think there was a great cultural moment in the 70s, especially, where we had these, like, more traditional yeah. angry punk people and this in-between of this, like, commercialized yet shocking hard rock. Yeah. And, like, the 70s is arguably my favorite era for music ever. honestly there's so much going on it was so interesting i would argue that that's like the peak of punk because the 60s is where it all came about but the 70s is really where it hit its stride yeah and i know some would argue that it's the opposite because it got so commercialized that's when it got shitty but i think that's when it got great we talk about it a lot on the pod that when punk is effective it's inherently relatable to everyone which is paradox i love the punk paradox yeah That's kind of our 
like main foundation for yeah. than all of these genres. Pretty much everything we talk about stems from it was yeah. born out of punk. Yes. Um, so we went from this hard, hard kind of hardcore shock factor, like all of the this this punk scene um, in the UK and pop punk, popular punk. Um, Inherently oxymoronic. (laughs) Exactly. Grew out of that. Um, And I think one of the kind of defining parts of pop punk is that we still have the same kind of fast tempos that we had in punk. It's Mm -hmm. still pretty aggressive. Um, There's a lot of electric guitars with like that distortion and those power chords that are really like, but the melodies change. And so Mm -hmm. I think the biggest difference with between pop punk and punk is the, um, the vocalists overall mm-hmm. in pop punk started to have to be slightly better. I wouldn't say they're necessarily great singers, depending right. on the band, but they all of a sudden the lyrics became slightly more important that you did want to hear them a little bit more. Yeah. So you had to have a singer who could come in and articulate the mood of the song through their voice. They could really sing through all of their words. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as shouty. I mean, again, it depends yeah. on the band. It definitely depends on the year mm-hmm. because of course, as technology got better, recording sessions got better and they could do, they could piece things together more. Yeah. Um, but pop punk, it became, it still had that kind of DIY, DIY aspect, sorry, <laughs> DIY aspect. Um, but we have bands like Green Day and Rancid and The Offspring. And then of course, you know, Blink-182 who come in and are all of a sudden on the radio because they still have kind of a shock factor, but it's tame. I mm-hmm. feel like pop punk is a little bit tamer. Totally. I mean, inherently it's popular. Exactly. It's more yeah. commercialized. I would argue... While punk was more of an emphasis on how can I sound crazy and distorted, pop punk became more of a how can I sound interesting? How can I sound different? Mm -hmm. And that's where you get the Tom DeLongs of the world, the Billy Joe Armstrongs of the world, who aren't bad singers, but they're not very good, but they sound distinct as hell and people love that. You can, myself especially. Yeah. (laughs) My, the first, so the first album I ever had was Charlotte Church's debut album. Besides that, my first album was Good Charlotte's very first album. Mm -hmm. And they were the beginning of the millennia, the new millennia's pop punk. I mean, definitely like... I would say millennium pop, pop, pop. Yes. Where we get this, like, I think that's a great way to describe it. The singers definitely became... There was always a focus on how they sounded, yes. but it wasn't supposed to be good, good. in the objective, just, classical yeah. sense. It was, like, recognizable in an instant. Yes. Um, especially Tom DeLong. I think he is probably the... Tom DeLong, and then I would say Brendan Urie yes. of the millennia. So Tom DeLong of the it's 90s. It's like a sliding scale, to yes. be honest, because Brendan's so vocally talented and yeah. controls his voice in a way that Absolutely. Tom does not. And they... 
but both of those singers are two really and Haley Williams. I would I would throw. So for those of you who don't know, Brendan Urie is the lead singer of Panic at the Disco. Tom DeLonge is one of the lead singers of Blink One Eight Two. Originally, the lineups changed, and Haley Williams is from Paramore. Yes, thank you. And those would be three. And actually, of course, the fourth. Before we get too far into the two thousands, the fourth would be Gerard Way of Make Him Look Romance. Very four singers. My king. (laughs) Yes. His birthday is my birthday. Oh my god. Tomorrow. I know. Um, We're definitely. (laughs) This will be posted (laughs) not then. Well, maybe on Friday. Yeah, there we go. Two days later. Um, So, the but all four of those singers, I would I would totally agree with that. They, it's still like, they still are very passionate singers, and the quality of their vocals maybe isn't the reason you're going to the show, but it's they have become so distinct. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that that played into pop punk. I think that carries through so many too. I mean, all American rejects. I think yeah. Tyson has his own, his own kind of brand. Max Bemis, my, my savior, Max Bemis. Love yeah. my life. Um, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. I think there's a kind of a sliding scale. There's a spectrum yeah. of this. And especially if you were to lay out a timeline from the sixties until now, there's more of a sliding scale where there's a grayer area. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of pick the harder, like, truths of, like, Sex Pistols, no doubt. Like, yeah. not no doubt, sorry. I meant that as a phrase, not the band. <laughs> the Sex Pistols, the Dead Kennedys, yeah. the Misfits, those would be, like, the harder end of the punk spectrum. Yes. And then you kind of get into the 90s and you get into No Effects, The Descendants. They're clearly punk-inspired, but there's something a little more updated about them. Yes, yeah. And then you'd get into the sliding scale of, you know, less and less of the traditional short, angry punk songs and a little more punctuated, a little more interesting, for me at least. And that's when you get more into, you know, the Blink-182s, the Green Day, the Green Days of the World, you know. And then eventually you get into Good Charlotte and Simple Plan, who are, I would argue, like the poppiest end of that spectrum. And I think a big part of pop punk, I mean, one of the reasons why I think there was this interest and emphasis on starting to become I like that the word updated punk is because a huge following started in the punk movement yeah all of a sudden people were listening to it it was still underground it still wasn't mainstream but people were listening to it and independent labels which are a hallmark of the all these genres started noticing and and were formed by these bands yeah but one of the biggest things about becoming an independent label before really the the advent of um, streamable music was radio. Yeah. And to get on the radio, you have to obviously follow some guidelines. And so I think pop punk, it's, we, people always like say that a lot of pop punks uh, bands, especially if they had more of a hardcore start, like sold out. Yeah. But it's, yeah, there is like a commercialization to pop punk. That's, that's a great point. I never really thought about it in the radio wave sense. Yeah. I mean, there was always, an inherent stigma when I was a kid too of like if you don't have the explicit version of the CD you're a fucking loser yeah. and your mom's lame yeah. you know like I always took pride in the like parental advisory exactly. stamp on my CD yeah. and like I'm cool right even though it meant nothing no but yeah I, I mean I think the noticeable shift yeah would be to be on the radio yeah you gotta clean things up I mean hello Panic of the Disco to this day people block out the god and goddamn so Which wild. Is, like, such a choice. Um, but they don't black out whore. Uh, again. Whole other can of worms for a whole other right. day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but exactly. Like, people had to make money, and that was the thing, is that some, like, people out there just... Labels, 
um, independent labels, but you know, producers, yeah, everybody thought, okay, how can we monetize this? Which is in so many ways how the world works with art. But I mean, that's how Warped Tour came to be. Exactly. How can we monetize? Warped Tour is so interesting because it is this grassroots organization promoting young bands and kind of nurturing yeah. the bands that we know and love today. But it also grew out of a business corporate yeah. need yeah. and a very smart marketing decision. Yeah. Kevin Lyman worked with agencies. He worked with major sponsors, major corporations, but it still had this grassroots kind of feel. Yeah. And I think that's just the epitome of what pop punk is. It's everything and it's nothing. It's yeah. it's completely sold out. It's completely calculated. And yet it's so seemingly authentic right. and DIY right. and, you know, relatable. It's a really good uh, smokescreen, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing that I would say about pop punk is uh, I think they have more audience participation in their songs. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot... One of the hallmarks that Rachel loves, and I love it when she brings up, there's a lot of chanting. I love chanting. A lot of clapping that happens. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more... uh, There's a lot of call and response, which, of Mm -hmm. course, is not um, original to the punk or pop punk scene. That is actually original to, like... Like definitely genres way outside pre language yeah, anthropological exactly. so call and response is not a new idea yeah but it's one that is used quite a bit also quite a bit live at mm-hmm. pop punk shows and punk shows I think pop punk was in one of the ways that they tried to make money of course and like tried to just become mm-hmm. really mainstream was they had to include the audience they the did audience so much crowd work the, yeah. yes crowd people would wait in line all day they'd miss sets they would miss live music in favor of waiting in line to, to like meet, meet the fans. someone for yeah. two seconds yeah and i love it and i'm i've done it yeah um and i love the idea too i mean it's so pop punk but to sell your own merch i think merchandising yeah. became so much more of a thing yeah in the pop punk especially the new millennium of pop punk and then you get all these other companies, like once you get more into the 2000s, like District Lines and, you know, Glamour Kills was huge and they collaborated with All Time Low all the time. Mark Hoppus started his own company, Atticus. Right. And they released their own compilations and their own merch. Yeah. Tom DeLonge, Macbeth Shoes, amongst other things. Like all of a sudden you have these pop punk entrepreneurs. Yes. And within the music scene as well. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but Epitaph was founded by one of the guys from Bad Religion musicians supporting musicians yeah it's so interesting and it feels so communal and yet so commercial yes yeah exactly The next genre in this evolution from punk to pop punk would be the emo movement. Yes. And there's definitely a couple other genres that we will talk about here in a second that Mm -hmm. are their own thing within this world, but I would say that the next step is emo. Mm -hmm. Emo itself is, and I think, so this was very much the movement that I always the most related to. Mm -hmm. It really, emo started in the 80s, in the mid-80s, but... It really, the way we know it now, I think, really came about in the early 2000s. 
to me, the like epitome, there's two epitome bands of emo Mm -hmm. that one is really good. One is, I would argue is not very good. So for me, the the best emo band of all time is My Chemical Romance. Just yep. hands down. No doubt. It's um, I love My Chem so much. We will do an episode dedicated to them because mm-hmm. there's a lot to unpack there. Um, they had four very, very solid albums. Um, but and their B-side album was really good. Yes. Yeah, Conventional Weapons. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, for me, were the epitome of, of what emo is at that they played with loud and soft dynamics. They played with really in- incredible guitar work and drum work and bass work. And uh, but then the vocal, but then they let Gerard. I mean, Gerard's vocals just like concept albums really came back. I don't mm-hmm. think concept album like emo yeah. brought in concept albums to the scene. That's what I was gonna say as yeah. well. I mean, just lyrically narratives. Yes. And heavy thematics. Yeah. Intentional thematics. Because, I mean, we talk about, you know, most old school pop punk, traditional pop punk have themes of morality and authority and all that shit. But all of a sudden, there's this consciousness. Yeah. There's this conscious brand building from a commercial standpoint. And there's a conscious styling. I I associate emo so much with the fashion of it all. All of a sudden, it was cool to have androgyny come to the forefront. I mean, we'll get into this in a different episode, but a huge part of my sexual awakening as a queer person were these crushes I had on these, like, front men of emo bands Mm -hmm. because they blurred that line of gender and they wore makeup and they had long hair and they wore all black and I loved that. And in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I'm still heavily attracted to these guys. Hello, (laughs) Frank Iero, hit me up. But um, there was just so much careful consideration yeah i would say that it's the antithesis of the true punk movement where punk is all about just like a spontaneous honestly i would argue my english major side coming out i would argue that punk is the musical equivalent of uh the sublime in english and like romanticism Mm. it's supposed to be the spontaneous overflow of genuine feeling and i would argue that that's what punk is supposed to be when it's done right whereas i think emo is a very conscious overflow of feeling and a very calculated like i have felt pain and i've thought about it for a really long time and this is what i've come to whereas punk is like i have this feeling once and i don't want to get into it but i'm going to shout about it yeah exactly and i think it's interesting from a masculinity standpoint as well because most of the emo bands i think of are male driven yeah yeah very few women in this genre in general yeah um at least from a mainstream commercially successful perspective there are so few women in the grand scheme of things but um i would argue that punk has a lot of that toxic masculinity and you know we talked about it like skinheads are part of that but also just like fuck feelings fuck everything like Mm -hmm. treating you know a lot of misogyny is is deeply instilled in the punk movement and i mean it's still it's still instilled in pop punk and in emo but i think emo was a little more of the antithesis of that yeah it was these men saying that like yeah i'm a dude but i'm gonna wear eyeliner and i'm gonna cry and i'm gonna tell you about it Mm -hmm. and i think that was really amazing i think it really opened a lot of doors for a lot of people and it's unfortunate that emo is the butt of the joke a lot of the time most of the time even when it was big yeah but the fact that you could find a home being you know borderline i mean emo comes out of the goth movement as well that's a whole other story for a whole other day but 
I associate it so much with the physical appearance. I think yeah. I think emo was so much about you reflecting how you felt inside. Yeah. However that came about. Yeah. For me, it was wearing orange eyeshadow all the way around my eyes. <laughs> a la Sweeney Todd. <laughs> you know, like, we all have our moments. <laughs> my neon skeleton sweatshirt uh, I wore every day. I have pin straight purple and red hair. Oh, how fun. Pin. I have very curly hair. This is obviously not something that you can all see. (laughs) I have very curly hair, so I would straighten every day. Pin straight. I cannot imagine. Pin straight. I had a really short haircut that I used to straighten every day. And, of course, I got that haircut the term that we were doing swimming in PE and my, it was like second period PE and I was so miserable. My hair was so fucked up that that like season. But, um, yeah, definitely flat ironing was huge. There, so I, yeah, I would agree that the emo movement really, and this was the other point that I was gonna make was that the music itself of the emo movement, like, uh, really showcased again by my chem was, it was storytelling. Yes. It was really, let's explore these feelings. Concept. Let's, I just love that yeah. you use the word concept. Yeah. I mean, Welcome to the Black Parade yeah. is Well, even um, amazing. their first uh, yeah. their first album, which was like all just about this couple and exactly like... They, well, vampires Will Never Hurt You. Yeah. What a narrative song. Exactly. And Skylines so, and Turnstiles. We all of a sudden get narrative songs. We get more of this through line Mm -hmm. of in these albums it really becomes like this whole like work of art yes in the music side So there was the music, but then there was very much what was happening culturally yes, and very much what was happening in the, in society with emo. And that for me was always really highlighted by Hawthorne Heights. I was going to say, when you said there are two bands, I thought Mike, Kevin Hawthorne Heights, Heights, and I was hoping we're on the oh, same page. Oh, yeah. And the, the thing about Hawthorne Heights was, like, I appreciated that first. I actually liked their, I mean, I, I, I their first album was fine. You know, yeah. Ohio's for Lovers is the biggest hit off of that. I album. would argue that the most, to use our word of the day, the most quintessential yeah. emo song <laughs> yeah. of all time yeah. is Ohio's for Lovers yes. by Hawthorne Heights. It was very much that, like, here's my pain, you're going to feel my pain, the vocals are kind of whiny, it's sad, yeah. it's emotional, emo, you know. But the thing was, I they really got to be the butt of the joke, and I think they took one for the team, honestly, mm-hmm. because of that song. Well, and I would argue that, considering that we especially, and I use the royal we as well, culturally, and you and I specifically, yeah. associate Hawthorne Heights as such an emo band, but... They had, like, a little bit of the skateboarder guy hair, but they didn't look very emo. Yeah. Well, they were still kind of... I think that was, like, It right was early. The, it was, like, they the were early. three they was, like, much, their peak. Yeah. And they were, like... 
I would argue emo really hit its stride in 05. Yes. Yeah, I would too. But you, but exactly, like you go from, and I think that was one of the reasons why if you didn't listen to emo music, I don't, I, th- I think it was easy to see people who enjoyed emo music as that kind of butt of the joke. Cause like, mm-hmm. I mean, just how many MySpace photos did we all take of like, the camera was like way above us. We had like one eye out and then everything else was covered in our yeah. hair because it was that kind of like very sensitive and it's hard to make yourself vulnerable and sensitive in a world that mainstream music was like top 40 Mm -hmm. in the early 2000s was like pretty poppy pretty really poppy and there was that i mean hip-hop had a huge moment but it was like sexually driven hip-hop i would argue yeah a lot of misogynistic hip-hop and rap and then pop pop just i mean there were some great rock bands mainstream rock bands Foo fighters love them yeah you know but i yeah i would agree with you and that was i there was there really became that trope of the like pastel preppy kids fighting Mm -hmm. the like emo goth kids it was very much an us versus them dynamic which is very punk yeah so we like we still hold those truths with us but the emo scene um was a sh- I I would argue too that the the emo movement itself was short lived. Yeah. Because it really gave in its heyday and its genuine yes. heyday, yes. it was very short lived. Yeah. Only a couple of years, maybe yeah. two thousand, what like two thousand two thousand three through like seven. Yeah. Because I definitely got out of my emo phase was the strongest when I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, in I don't remember the year. Fuck, it's been too long. But I was like fourteen, fifteen, and that was like the the height yeah. of it. I don't think. I was a full-on scene kid yeah. in 2008. I was going to say, because that's when we bridge into the scene kid movement. Yeah. And I would argue the scene kid movement is... The scene kid movement was a very visual movement, and it yeah. also was more of a cultural thing than I think a music thing, necessarily. Well, I think the big difference, at least for me, and I, I wanted to bring this up knowing that we talk about emo. I mean, as much as I love all this stuff and I hold it in a high esteem and I have a great time talking about it... I'd be remiss not to discuss. I mean, we'd both be remiss to not discuss like the problematic oh, parts of it. Sure. And a huge issue, and part of why I think emo was short lived is because there was a huge emphasis on self harm. Yes. And yeah. for me, at least, that was being a scene kid yeah. per se. In like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, emo was kind of on its way out. Being a scene kid was the happy medium where you can like the music and yeah. style yourself like that, but you're not cutting yourself. Right. I mean, a huge part of Hot Topic really blowing up in the early 2000s with the little, like, sweatbands. Yeah. And the sweatbands, wristbands were to cover where you cut your wrists. And I'm not blaming Hot Topic for this. I don't think that was the (laughs) original intent. But that was a huge fashion hallmark. And a lot of kids were wearing them, unironically not hurting themselves like myself. But the crux of it, why it was in fashion, was because kids would cut themselves and then put those wristbands on. The emo movement definitely had that. There was, like, this very subtle undertone that was very dark and sinister of like kind of daring you almost to like listen to like and I don't think these bands are going on here being like let's get everybody to slit their wrists but it was like but there's a lot of slit your wrists literally literally, referenced in lyrics because it really is that kind of and I yeah cut my wrists and black my eyes I know Take so me away to paradise. I know that's not the same. I know. Like, that's what I always... <laughs> Punch it up. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's actually... A, that's a really uh, insightful point about the emo movement. Uh, is that, yeah, it, it of course, it wasn't without its problems. And again, yeah. it definitely had a lot of... 
like weird misogyny that was always like yeah. very metaphorical because that was the emo mm-hmm. movement too. It was very they metaphorical. Rarely came out and said what they meant. If the emo movement was a person, <laughs> it would be Augustus Waters from the Faulkner Stars putting a cigarette in his mouth and not lighting it and saying that it's a metaphor. That's the emo movement yeah. as a person. Yes. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that's like you know. Yeah. Exactly. So the emo movement, I again, I think some really honestly some of my favorite music that I will still play to this yeah. day came out of the emo movement because because musically, again, musically these these are well-made songs. Yeah. They are well-written, carefully crafted. They're carefully crafted. For the most part, the vocalists are much better. Mm-hmm. They're actually really trying to sing. They're most of these bands were really prolific. If there's mm-hmm. most of them are still around, um, RIP my cat. But the side projects are great. Um, mm-hmm. So we get these. So musically, and for me as an emo kid, I, um, I like I. It really was my. I came into like my rebelling against authority and like having all my issues mm-hmm. in middle school and high school right at that time and so it for me it was very much like here are these songs that I relate to so heavily yeah um but it was always I just as a, because I am a musician too it was always really I, I still listen to them and like try to pick out the, the used I would say like the um mm. the beginning of I Caught Fire that guitar riff that they do right at the beginning is so melodic it's so nice and it's just and then they come in with the drums and it's i think the way that they structured like everybody had some freedom with the way that they structured mm-hmm. songs in the movement really musically it was very exciting and I think it was a really beautiful like a a lot of these songs are really beautiful in a way mm-hmm. um there was more instrumentation I, most emo bands are usually like you have a front man a, a singer I should a front person mm-hmm. um who sings maybe they play an instrument uh, usually guitar or bass um but then you have you know you've got your drums uh, and then you have either one or two guitarists. One of the yeah. guitarists is lead. One of them plays rhythm, which the rhythm guitarists do. They play mostly chords. Sometimes they will do harmonies, um, which, again, I think Ray Toro and Frankie definitely have some great harmonies that they Swoon. work in. are so nice. Uh, and then you have a bassist. But a lot of emo bands would bring in um, a pianist mm-hmm. and do keys, Um which was beautiful. Some human bands had some strings, which I appreciated. Um, mm-hmm. Brass. I don't think they ever really used brass. Brass was a little too bright for obvious reasons. I think the most palatable example of emo mm-hmm. in the jokey yeah. traditional sense would be Blink-182's I Miss You. Yes. I think Blink-182 is incorrectly yeah, quoted as being an emo band. Yeah. Recently on the alternative station I listened to, this guy was waxing poetic about how Blink-182 is his favorite emo band. Yeah, it made me so angry. Yeah. But I Miss You is textbook emo, yeah. especially the music video. Yeah, um, They have an upright bass in it. They get some strings in there. It's very talk singy, monotone. Right. And then, you know, you get that classic, where are you? <laughs> like Tom DeLonge. But, you know, I think... That was kind of a weird little bridge. Oh, it's one of the most memed Blink-182 songs. <laughs> and I think it's the one that's made fun of the most. But I think it's also one that got the naysayers for emo to at least get it for a little bit. Yeah. To get it for a day. Don't waste your time on me. You're already 
So, well, I'm sure at some point during this podcast, especially once we get into the 2000s. Yeah, we'll do history, some emo episodes. We will definitely do sure. emo because it's a big, big old genre. For how short it was, it's a big yeah. old genre. And it's a huge, it had a huge, arguably the biggest impact on both of us. Yes, agreed. As pop punk kids, emo definitely had a huge yeah impact on me and also like how I dress to this day <laughs> like yeah right I mean it has an impact on how I dress it has an impact on how I present myself it's a huge part of my queer identity which I didn't really fully unpack until I came out in college um yeah and it, I was allowed to play with gender and I was allowed to feel things yeah. and really indulge my sadness <laughs> and you know it was very cathartic it was a very cathartic movement especially for me, I would argue. And I was never into self-harm or anything like that. Fortunately, I'm very blessed in my life. And I haven't really had any big mental health issues. But I could see that being a very positive thing for people with mental health issues and a really negative one. Mm-hmm. It, it's as much an influencer as it is an enabler. Yeah, it depends. Exactly. Any other emo tracks to reference oh while we're God. here? Oh, my God. I mean, for me, the emo bands that I listened to the most, uh, besides my chem, were, oh, boy, The Used, Fall Out mm-hmm. Boy, Panic at the Disco. I um, think Fall Out Boy and Panic are a little hinged. They're, like, they dipped their toe in emo, but I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't define them as, like, full-on emo. Oh, I would. Especially Panic now. Well, no, but... I mean, Fever, you can't sweat out Panic for sure, but then they immediately did Pretty Odd, and then they did Vices and Virtues, and I don't yeah. think any of those are... No, I think in their that, heyday, they were that, Well, that was, I mean, but the heyday, yeah. again, the emo movement was very short. But I just feel like it's worth yeah. mentioning that these bands, some of these bands were, like, yeah. in it, and then completely evolved their sound. Yeah, I would say the other ones were Seosin, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I got it, like, The Academy is... Uh, I never got into them. I should I give them a shot? I really shot. liked the first album. Um, I don't know why. I, there was something about them where I'm like, nah, when I was like a shitty entitled kid, I'm like, not enough for me. Motion City soundtrack is a big one. Again, definitely more of like pop punk, maybe than yeah. straight up. Yeah, I think Motion City is definitely more pop punk than yeah. emo, but they have a couple tracks, especially where you're like, yeah. oh, you got Dark Justin. Yeah. And again, for me, I think when I define a band as emo, it was not necessarily like, it was how did they fit in in those years when emo mm-hmm. was big? That's and fair. And were they like touring on the same show? It's so funny because I think our we're not that different in age, but I think the difference is really coming in hot here, especially yeah. because I came into the emo movement at the tail end of it. Yeah. And like I only ever associate Cartel with being poppy as fuck and super commercial because they had that like really successful single in like two thousand eight. Yeah. Like I forget that they yeah. did emo shit because I missed it. But I, I I totally agree. It was such a finite chunk of time when the emo that we know i mean yeah. like you said emo began in the 80s right but the emo that we know and i think the emo that the internet latched onto, and yes. i think our generation especially yes. latched onto, it's a very finite amount of time and but a hugely influential and highly yeah. referenced well, you know it will always just be me let's get these
So the other couple of genres that, again, are fall into this timeline, but in different ways and in different places would be um, ska, screamo, the Riot Girl movement, and grunge. Um, Which are all so different. They are. They are. They all. Exactly. I think. um, I know I'll let Rachel talk about ska. um, (laughs) And Riot Girl, definitely. Uh, I would say just the only. Like, really grunge. I mean, Nirvana. Yeah. I mean, I don't really. So much of the. I mean, we. If you're new to the pod, I'm so sorry. This is your first episode. It's very dense. It's (laughs) It's great. It's just. It's not indicative of the rest of the pod. No, it isn't. Uh, but we have a couple episodes talking about the history of Warped where we take it year by year and once a month we'll release a special. Mm-hmm. And we're in the 90s right now. Obviously, Warped Tour was founded in 1995. Yeah. And um, so much of Warped Tour and the pop punk movement and this music was fueled by the death of Kurt Cobain, I would argue. Yeah. And inherently the death of Grunge. Grunge did not, in my opinion, Grunge did not have longevity. No, Grunge was very much the emo scene too. Both yeah. of very flash in the pan but very but monumental. huge cultural huge. impact, especially yes. in fashion. <laughs> yes, so the, so the grunge movement, of course, I think is is definitely something to reference. I would say the grunge movement also is weirdly like a father of the emo movement, too, because the yeah. grunge movement did have, like, especially Cobain. Mm-hmm. I mean... Just being an outwardly emotional... Yeah. I would argue that he married yes. punk and emo. Yeah. He was kind of the inter... Like, yeah. the point that meshed them together and kind of led into the other. Right. But, yeah, I think grunge kind of married those two. And I can't think of a better example than Nirvana. They're yeah. just so prolific and they really defined that genre. Yeah. And I think as a... Yeah, I think as kind of a mirror of the emo movement, this was obviously the precursor, but it was such a bright star that burned so fast. Yes. That yeah. it really came to be with Nirvana and then kind of died with Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. But I do think it fed into... The Riot Girl movement hugely. Yes. I think the Riot Girl movement married traditional punk and grunge with their own thing. Yeah. I mean, the Riot Girl movement I've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. It's one of my favorite eras of music. It's mostly, most people would say it's characterized by the late 90s especially. Um, these all-female punk groups came into the forefront, specifically in the Pacific Northwest. A lot of them came out of the Pacific Northwest. Seattle was you know, the birthplace of grunge. I think the right girl movement came out of that in a big way. Um, bands like Bikini Kill, which you probably know their single Rebel Girl was the biggest song they ever had. Uh, Slater Kinney, you know, Carrie Brownstein from Portlandia <laughs> is in Slater Kinney. <laughs> One of my favorite songs by Slater Kinney is Little Mouth. And it's on my, follow me on Spotify, Rachel and Elkins. Um, it's on my I Love Female Rage playlist. Little Mouth is so much, it's just so good. And I mean, Bikini Kill has so many good songs. And I could go on. I mean, Hole, I think, is a little bit of the in-between. Courtney Love was so heavily influenced by being with Kurt Cobain, obviously. And Hole was a band before the Riot Girl movement really took off. But she's kind of the in-between. She's kind of a floater, culturally. Um, I say she. Hole is a full band, but I always associate it with Courtney Love. I love Hole. I brought them up in the pod a lot. I feel like they're kind of the in-between. But the Riot Girl movement in its purest form was a more traditional approach to punk. of a DIY shouting sounding cool and interesting but not sounding good right and these girls who had something to say grabbed a microphone and fucking screamed it and they didn't sound pretty and it didn't sound very musical it was noise but in the most powerful way yeah and it it was also i would argue a flash in the pan 
I think Riot Girl has such lasting effects on music and culture mm-hmm. in general, outside of music, just all cultural movements, I think, kind of come back to that. Anything that involves women taking a stand. And it also fostered in this amazing era of girls to the front, where at so many of these shows, they would say all girls to the front, and they always got the front row, and the dudes were at the back, and the girls got to mosh and not be groped and just have the time of their damn lives. And I love that. There's some amazing books about it as well. One is literally called Girls to the Front. Um, (laughs) But it was the peak of it was also a very short-lived moment. Yeah. I think part of what's so interesting and part of why we wanted to do this podcast is that when Warped Tour was happening... It was so indicative of these these smaller moments, yes. these microcosms within the genre, and we always talk about how work is such a melting pot. That you just there's so much to unpack, there's so much to talk about, and it's not just Blink One Eighty Two. It's not one thing. Yeah. It's so many things. two final ones are Ska and Screamo. Mm-hmm. Um, Screamo, I mean, I get Well, it I feel like they kind of have to dip into hardcore. Yeah, hardcore. Because I feel like they're this, they kind of belong together, but they're not quite. It's like a square and a rectangle. Yeah, hardcore Screamo. Never really anything that I was particularly interested in because, again, I am a vocalist, and so mm-hmm. it was really difficult for me to... I like to be able to sing along to the music that I listen mm-hmm. to, um, for the most part. I mean, not everything, but... yeah. I like to be able to have a there's recognizable melody and like something that I can latch on to and some hardcore does have that I'm not saying that it doesn't but it again it went kind of back into the like loud fast yeah rough I would argue that hardcore took the ideas of punk and elevated them yeah and hardcore to me is an interesting culmination of metal punk and yeah true where it's carefully curated but it feels cacophonous a lot of the time and the lyrics are highly poetic a lot of the time but you can't understand them for the most part right so it especially in the myspace era i think when hardcore and screamo really took off at least for me in my cultural memory um it was because you would like listen to these bands you're like do you even know the lyrics though fucking look and you'd like post the lyrics on your social media right. you know and talk about like so when i think screamo slash hardcore i think devil's prada is a really heavy hitter under i oath. saw them at warped tour under oath yeah. for sure um attack attack mm-hmm. is a little more of the pop punk vibe i would argue they they have a little more fun with it they're a little less serious than like i think devil's prada is more face value mm-hmm. um a day to remember is on the fringes. Yeah. Part of why I struggle with a day to remember. It's my brother's favorite band of all time. Part of why I struggle with them is that they'll have songs that are just straight pop punk sounding. And then they'll have songs that are just straight screaming. Yeah. And I like a marrying of the two. Yeah. I love For Your Strong. They scream sometimes. Even old Fall Out Boy. Pete Wentz would scream yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And I, I love that marrying. I loved Flyleaf, as I said. <sighs> Lacey really, like, shreds her voice sometimes. But it's interesting and it's dynamic to me. Um, but a day to remember is a really interesting band because they're still going strong, they're still touring, they're still releasing new music. But they kind of married pop punk and screamo 
in a really successful way that I think a lot of bands struggle to do. Yeah. But yeah, you know, Attack Attack, I love Stick Stickly. Highly recommend you clip out Stick Stickly. Stick Stickly. And then like A Day to Remember, I'm just like going through things in my head. None of these go together. I'm sorry. A Day to Remember has so many good like chanting, angry songs. Stick Stickly is so rad. And they do this weird thing. Crab, they like crab walk with their guitar. Watch the music video; it's crazy. Oh I wish my brother was here to like fully get into this. I can feel him like ripping his hair out. He did not get far in this episode because I probably annoyed him. He knows more than I. But then you get moshing, you get yeah. the pit, the emphasis on the pit, on, you know, the wall of death, the circle of death. Yeah. Like, guys especially, I mean, some women, don't get me wrong, do it, but it's so clearly a lot of white dudes who like to punch walls <laughs> would go to the front of the stage, circle up, make a big circle, and then just run at each other and whack the shit out of each other. And nice. that was, those are concerts. I mean, that's still happening now. So I think Hardcore Screamo really fostered that pit kind of ambiance yeah physical aggression i i would also argue for some people it's really healthy i mean i know my brother loves to go to shows and just wail in the pit and it's like a healthy outlet for him and there's a level of consent to it because when you're in the circle you chose to be in there you like run in yourself and like make that choice and like go for each other you know uh there's some interesting dances that go with it the weird windmill arm thing Sometimes I wish we were a video podcast just to, like, <laughs> do the thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, hardcore and screamo I often associate with each other. But I know that not all hardcore has traditional screamo yeah. screaming. And not all screamo would be considered hardcore necessarily. Right. But, you know, what do you, as a vocal coach, as a professional <sighs> singing woman, how would you define screamo? I mean, it is a, it is a skill. I will say it's a skill, like, mm-hmm. the way belting in musical theater is a skill. Neither of which are necessarily super healthy or sustainable unless you mm-hmm. can figure out a way to do it for yourself. Yeah. Um, I just can't listen to a lot of Screamo. I can listen to it when it's, like, not the lead singer. When it's, it's finite. It's very short. Mm-hmm. It's on, like, one or two, three phrases. I'm like, okay. Screamo is... There is a way to do it where... I mean, you, you are literally screaming. That's the whole point. But you open up your throat in a way and create space in your mouth in a way that you add this like um kind of back resonance mm-hmm. so that it doesn't just sound like so distorted it almost yeah exactly so you get this kind of like richer darker scream mm-hmm. um i think what makes it really hard on the vocal cords is that you're screaming at your because if we were going to scream if you were just like shocked and screamed most of us pitch our scream higher because naturally we just everything opens up we just release a lot Mm -hmm. of air really fast and so the vocal folds vibrate together very quickly they hit each other very quickly so we get this higher pitched sound Mm -hmm. however with screamo music we are purposely screaming at what our kind of normal talk uh, pitches or even lower for some people and that growl that you get and that is so hard on your vocal folds like it's so damaging 
Well, and there are so many stories of these, like, <sighs> the meteoric rise of these screamo bands who can no longer tour because the yeah. lead singer blew out their voice. Yeah. You are just, you are asking for notes. It's the, it's mm-hmm. the worst thing you can do. The second worst thing you can do for your voice is whispering, actually. Really? Yeah. Um, cause you're not, you're like, it's like, it's a, it's like the sandpaper effect. Wow. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I just never thought about it. So for me, it's just, I, I, that was why I could just never get behind it because I just, mm-hmm. I can feel like sympathetically feel that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are definitely bands and some screamo singers who have figured out a way that works for them. I, I mean, props to them. And for me, like, I think, again, I, I do, I can see Screamo, like, being a neat effect to use in a song. I just don't understand why people would need an entire song of Screaming. Mm. I had a really brief stint in early, early high school where I listened to I Set My Friends on Fire a lot. Mm-hmm. They were a little bit, part of why they were so appealing to me as a scene kid, and I'll get into scene in a second because I realize I mentioned it, but we didn't go into it, yeah. um, was that they were funny. They, like, screamed the whole time, but they were funny. And I'll never forget, they had a song called Reese's Pieces. I don't know who John Cleese is that I thought was very funny. Like, a lot of their titles were long and funny, and a lot of their lyrics were self-referential and silly, but you couldn't tell what they were saying most of the time. That was, like, the closest I had to, like, an actual screamo stint. But I've dabbled with Devil Wars Prada. I've dabbled with Pierce the Veil. Actually, Pierce the Veil is arguably my favorite of the screamo bands. I don't know a whole lot by them, but what I do know I really like. to tag us out on that before we talk about ska mm-hmm. briefly before the end of this podcast today um i would say the scene movement i left this world by the time the scene movement mm-hmm. was in full force i graduated. make it sound like you died i know sorry i know sorry. <laughs> i left this world i was an emo kid you're a specter i am you're a, a french ghost a specter with the rose uh, it's like those yeah it's Sorry. That's in the next the episode, what we just referenced briefly. Right. Berlioz was, I would argue, Berlioz was an emo kid. 100%. Fair. If Berlioz came back... Oh, the romantics would... are my favorite poets, yes. and Keats was a total emo boy. Right. All these oh, emo boys. Love, for, love him, live for him. Um, but yeah, no, so I, I graduated college, I, I did graduate college, but I graduated high school <laughs> uh, maybe a year... I, Within the timeline of the emo to scene movement, mm-hmm. I was graduating high school right at that time. I was starting high school right at the time, <sighs> which go. is why our age discrepancy right? is very fun. <laughs> so it works. So I was graduating high school. I was I went, was moving away for college. Mm-hmm. So my taste went from listening to a lot of the heavier stuff to listening to more like indie stuff and like mm-hmm. Death Cab for Cutie and listening to um, Death Cab arguably emo true yes Death Cab I would say it's true. a slippery slope though because I feel like they're so critically acclaimed and musically I think they're a step up from a lot of the traditional yeah, emo bands they live so it's in a little tricky to pick little yeah. world Ben Gibbard is I love Death Cab for Cutie so much Translatedism was one of my favorite albums mm-hmm. Plans also I loved Plans um, I love the Postal Service too oh yes Postal Service is one of my favorite uh, uh, what are they called Jesus side projects sure um, 
but my taste, so my, ch- my musical taste changed a little bit because I think me, myself was like, I grew, thank, you know, mm-hmm. thank God we all do. Um, I still went and saw my Kemper uh, with Killjoys. Like I still went and saw it sophomore year of college. Like I was very much still, I still stand them hundred percent. Um, but I just, I slowly got out of, I just got out of scene because I think that like you mentioned, like the scene kids didn't like had that difference of the emo kids where it was like they you still enjoy the same music and mm-hmm. you know the the fashion but the fashion definitely changed all of a sudden there was colors involved which i was like no what now see i loved that oh my god I i'll get into my side of it for um, a moment, but <laughs> but the scene movement i just I, yeah it felt like um honestly it just like everybody got a little bit lighter of like um it like it wasn't the this like really dark poetic metaphorical high concept high art thing like that was what I was so into and mm-hmm. then the scene movement kind of came in with like people who were like a little more like the like <laughs> the Marge Simpson meme of like like let's can you guys lighten up like <laughs> that's really what it felt like with the scene movement and for me it was just like okay this is this is my time it, it worked out that that transition happened when I was transitioning to college because it was like this is my time to mm-hmm break away mm-hmm. so I don't know too much about the scene movement to be honest I don't know too many of the bands that came that came about in popularity in like 2008 mm-hmm. 2009 2010 because I was just not really involved I don't think the scene has as much of a it's le- at least for me it's less of a genre and it's yeah. more of like a cultural hallmark of this larger era yeah I got I mean, I consider myself to have been a scene kid for a while. And for me, when I was in eighth grade, judge me, um, when I was like eighth grade and ninth grade and I was trying to find myself and kind of make my own style and become more comfortable with how I presented in the world, scene was a great opportunity for me because I identified with all this emo shit, but I wasn't fully goth. And I also was loving Hot Topic at the time. And I was really getting into actual fashion. I followed a lot of blogs about like actual fashion that fascinated me that I never had the balls to style myself after. But you mentioned color was brought into things. Yeah. So all of a sudden, the scene kid movement comes into play and kids are wearing neon colors over their black. And, you know, bright. <sighs> I, I had two. The no, hair. I had three different single pan cover girl eyeshadows i had a bright blue one a bright purple one and a bright green one and i'd wear them intermittently mostly the blue i had a bright blue kat von d liquid eyeliner that i wore famously to a say anything concert um i loved i loved integrating color i had a big andy warhol face too so like the popper thing definitely fed into that yeah um talk about a problematic fave but for me especially i think scene was more of a cultural moment more of a fashion moment than anything else and i think when myspace was kind of on its way out and facebook was starting to rise yeah um the scene kid movement really kind of was the nail in the coffin of like it was a very short-lived movement and it was myspace for so long in and by so long i mean like a year which was huge for me as a kid (laughs) and then it just fizzled out as myspace itself fizzled out i would argue if i had to pick scene music i would pick broken side and jeffree star they were very electronic driven. Yeah. They were very electro pop. Yeah. But they wore a lot of bright colors and they had like snake bites and like yeah. tattoos, but were very 
self-aware to the point where they were like manipulating pop Mm -hmm. and doing these hyper-sexualized shock value things in the vein of punk but under the guise of lipstick and glamour in Jeffree Star's case and just like trash in Broken Side's case Um, but a lot of me being a queer kid I really latched onto that and didn't really realize until later in life that that's why I was into it Mm -hmm. and it really shaped me but I wouldn't consider it a genre so much. If I had to pick those, would be the two I'd pick, though. Nice. Which are yeah. not good. It's not good music. I love <laughs> Jeffrey, but it's not good music. Um, yes. I, again, I don't, I just don't know too much about the scene. Yeah. The other scene that I don't really know too much, or the other genre I don't know too much about is, is ska. Um, yeah. I'm learning more about it actually doing this podcast. I have totally. to say, like, I'm actually kind of enjoying it a little bit more than I thought I would. I'm so glad. Um, but... I yeah ska again was always kind of like the fun cousin that was like very much like involved but like you'd only see for like summer barbecues yeah that was just like ska for me was I was like okay it's coming like your friend from camp that you saw every June every June January (laughs) every June yeah I mean we've talked about ska so much on the podcast so far because the early 90s were the biggest years for ska warped tour ska is very Rastafarian influenced um there's a big feature on brass instruments oftentimes steel drums um big band kind of vibe but very much a kind of rasta vibe people consider no doubt to be a ska band i differ with that but i do think they took ska and kind of commercialized it made it a little poppier a little more palatable so you know think about like the intro to just a girl think about the intro to spider webs those are very quote-unquote traditional ska but i would argue my mighty boss tones less than jake real big fish voodoo glow skulls those are really quintessentially ska bands you're welcome mom for using that word for the thousandth (laughs) time um and they were really big in the 90s and i think they're still around and ska is one of the mainstays of warped it's always been present there's always kind of a ska side stage yeah and it's a very specific crowd. People skank. Skanking is a very specific kind of dancing that I can only really show you. So hit me up in real life. <laughs> or Google it. Uh, be careful how you Google it. That's a risky search term. But yeah. you know. Why? Where, like, skank? Because it's I gotta Scott look into the... King? I think. I need to look into the actual um, etymology of skanking. <gasps> right, like, But that's, like, that the, the textbook ska. Like, you're at a ska show and you're, like kicking your feet out and your arms at the same time Zoe can vouch that I'm doing this yeah. in real life it's, it's kind of like the You're Rachel it chair too. it's kind of like the Rachel Green dance from Friends in the flashback episode where she can't really dance and she just kind of kicks a foot out it's, and like shakes her head yeah that's like the low key version Elaine of skanking in Seinfeld if you kind of sped it up yeah faster. if you really sped it if up you had her moving her arms her like if she moved same. her ankles slightly less yes that. <laughs> yeah the yeah. full body heave. <laughs> uh, but it's pretty wild. It is. T- it's to a beat. She was not to a beat. Yeah. It is definitely to the beat. It's definitely to the beat of the music. It's pretty consistent. But skanking's pretty hilarious and pretty fun. It's and interesting you kinda, to see I mean, you can give yourself people. over to it. Yeah. You just kind of let loose. Nice. You just have to be careful not to hit anybody.
I think, too, just... Are we ready to close it out? Yeah. I think to close it out, just defining what the scene is. Yeah. I mean, we talk about scene as an adjective or being a scene kid, and that's, you know, at least for me and at least for our purposes on this podcast, that's... We mean, you know, like the neon kind of post-emo world, but then the scene is referenced within this music all the time, and we'll get really into it in the 2000s, but, you know, the scene, there's this whole concept of you go to shows and you buy merch and you're on MySpace and you're on social media and you're on a street team that you signed up for via mail. Yes. I was almost in the MyChem street team. I was on the MyChem street team. um, I like had to mail something in and my mom wouldn't do it. And it like didn't work out, but you know, or maybe I was too lazy. Maybe I don't want to put that on Gina. Gina, it's not on you. My mother's (laughs) a wonderful woman, but, um, the scene being, you know, it meant something different to everyone, but it's referenced constantly, especially in the like 2005 Panic of the Disco world. Yeah, Panic of the Disco really brought it brought it up a lot. Fall Out Boy brought it up a lot. One of my favorite albums is In Defense of the Genre by Say Anything. Yeah, great title. And part this plays into how we talked about you know pop punk. I think hallmark of pop punk are people wanting to sound different and sound interesting. And part of the appeal of In Defense of the Genre is so many heavy hitters in the genre came on to songs and you knew instantly who they oh, were. Yeah, yeah. Like Gerard Way is featured in, in the, the title titles, track yeah. in Defense of the Genre and you know instantly who it is. Oh, yeah. You know? And I think it's so cool of Say Anything especially to really delve into that in a more literal way. Yeah. But there's this constant concern of like, are you in the scene? The scene is dying. Yeah. Long live the scene. Cobra Starship was very self-referential with that. Um, pretty much the whole school of Pete Wentz. Because like Fall Out Boy, Panic the Disco, Cobra Starship, yeah. Pete Wentz was involved in all of those. Fueled by Ramen. Yeah, that whole... The whole Fueled by Ramen kind of angle. The best part of Believe is the lie. I hope you sing along and you steal a line. I need to keep you like this for to give you all some yeah or at the very least interesting yeah right? <laughs> entertaining you guys some kind of background on on the evolution of mm-hmm. all of these and there are so many i mean believe me we did not there are so many subgenres um that we did not get into so you know tell us your favorites you know yeah these what, are just the broad strokes exactly um but hopefully this is helpful to give you guys some idea of like where we're coming from when we talk about pop punk yeah. and emo and why we especially um our next history episode in a couple of weeks is going to be 1998 so we are getting really close to this kind of advent of um of the of this movement that we just talked about and so we wanted mm-hmm. to give you guys just this look into how we relate to it and how it related to us yeah for better and for worse <clears throat> absolutely <laughs> so yeah definitely let us know who you loved who you hated who you thought was uh, who you still love yeah and if you, you consider yourself an active member of the scene tell me about it yeah tell, tell me and Z about it hit us up on the socials yeah really we'd love to hear about your experiences i'd love yeah. to have, sorry, eventually I just, sorry, I just kicked you <laughs> 
Eventually, I'd left up my brother on the pod. Yeah. He, I think, is still a pretty active member of the scene, despite being, like, a real proper adult with an actual career. Nice. He, like, hauls his ass out to date remember shows and blink shows. Good. And is still, like, an active participant, and I'd love to pick his brain. But hit us up, tell us what you're thinking, and give us suggestions for what to talk about next. This is, we're just scratching the surface on shit that we will get way into in future episodes. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Warp to Remember. Bye. Aphrodite. Hi, about me.